Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Norbert Michel, the director of the Cato Institute's Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives, or as we like to say, the CMFA. And today is our first annual CMFA conference. Uh, it's also the first time the CMFA team has held an event here in our newly refurbished auditorium. And the theme for the conference, as you can see, is staying ahead of the curve, crypto regulation, and competitiveness. My colleagues, especially Jennifer Schulp, uh, have worked very hard to put together a great program. And when we're done, we're going to post all of these panels online. So I encourage everyone to share these discussions here today with their friends and family. I know that probably sounds like a strange request. I do realize financial regulation is not exactly the most widely discussed topic at most dinner tables uh, every night, much less holidays. Uh, but if you want financial markets to work better so that it's easier for people to take economic risks in more sensible ways so that people can earn higher incomes and build greater wealth, then you should share these ideas with them. Uh, widely and frequently, I would say. And I'm not delusional. I, I'm not saying that if we do a better job of regulating our financial markets, uh, everybody's going to get rich and they'll never, we'll never have a crisis or, or anything like that. That's, that's much too much. It's rather silly. But I am saying that financial markets and therefore the broader economy would work and could work much better. And I think there's no doubt. Uh, for most of our history, the United States has moved financial market regulation in pretty much the wrong direction. And in the most recent 100 years, it's basically been a slow and steady increase of strict rules and regulations with increased regulatory discretion. This approach has not worked well, and it has made our financial markets less competitive. Some folks might see that as a plus. Competition, after all, can be rather disruptive. But competition is critical to our success. It is what pushes people to develop better products and services and discover better ways to deliver what people want and what they need. By strengthening the weaknesses in how we do things, it's what helps us stay ahead of the curve. Unfortunately, we do not have enough competition in our financial markets, and it's largely because our approach to financial regulation is counterproductive. In the name of safety and stability, something that I would argue we're not going to be able to regulate to get, we've ditched competition in market forces in exchange for these stricter top-down regulations with much of it ceded by Congress to the regulatory agencies. The tragic part is that this approach has repeatedly failed. It's for decades and decades. But every time something goes really wrong, every time we have a crisis, we double down on that same approach. We impose more prescriptive rules, create more boxes to check, expand government backing, and we make more promises along the lines of this time the regulators will keep us safe. But they never do. Then when something incredibly new comes along, like cryptocurrency, neither Congress nor the regulators know quite what to do because it doesn't really fit so neatly into all the boxes that we've created. So out of fear, Congress and the regulators remain paralyzed. 
and they are afraid to do anything that might upset the status quo, all while holding on to the idea that we can, in fact, achieve safety through regulation. Right now, in the name of safety, some members of Congress want an outright ban on cryptocurrency. And there's no doubt that some people in the industry haven't helped this situation. Um, committing large-scale fraud does tend to increase people's fear, and it does enable regulators to clamp down tighter, even though the product or service itself is not the problem. We've seen this with the SEC, much, much more so lately. Uh, rightly or wrongly, they can point to the heightened need to protect people. So while it's fashionable these days especially to bash the SEC and Gary Gensler for heavy-handed regulation, often by enforcement, I'm not going to do that. Not right now. It's too easy, and it misses the larger point. And that's that the United States is falling behind right now. And it's partly because for too long, Congress has basically been playing whack-a-mole, responding to unique events with vague statutes, relying more and more on regulatory discretion, instead of taking the time to really think about the best way to regulate our markets. But that's our goal here at Cato's CMFA. That's what we do. We try to think of the best way to regulate the markets. That's what we've been doing for years, and it's what's guided our program for today's conference. And that's why I think you should share the stuff that you hear today widely and frequently. Uh, so thank you again for joining us both here in the audience and online. Uh, in just one moment, we'll get started with my colleague Jen Schulp and United States Senator Bill Haggerty. Thank you very much. Director of Financial Regulation Studies here at Cato Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives. And with me is Senator Bill Haggerty, who represents the state of Tennessee, and among his other committee assignments, he sits on the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. Prior to his election in 2020, Senator Haggerty served as ambassador to Japan, and he is a lifelong businessman as a venture capital and private equity investor who served as an executive and board member on a wide range of companies. We're honored to have you to here with us today, Senator Haggerty. It's great to be with all of you today. Thank you for those here in the audience and for those online. Hey, you've been voicing concerns about U.S. competitiveness with respect to crypto asset regulation for quite some time now. Indeed, in connection with legislation that you introduced last year, you noted that the current lack of regulatory clarity for digital assets presents entrepreneurs and businesses with a choice navigate the significant regulatory ambiguity in the U.S., or move overseas to a market with clear digital asset regulations. So let's talk about competitiveness. What does it mean for the U.S. to be competitive when it comes to digital assets? And why does it matter? I might put it into context. Um, I started my career, I have to say, many years ago at a place called the Boston Consulting Group. And our job was to understand and advance the competitive advantage of our clients, whether that be a, in a microeconomic setting, a, a company, or in a national setting, a macroeconomic setting, a nation. Uh, if you think about the competitive advantage that the United States has, our capital markets have been an enormous source of competitive advantage. And we need to maintain strength in our financial markets. The, the fact that the 
U.S. dollar is the reserve currency in the world. It's a huge competitive advantage for us. And our, our policy is to continue innovation in that arena, I think are absolutely critical. America has been at the forefront of innovation as a nation in ways that uh, I just, it just makes me proud to be an American. I uh, flew in yesterday on a beautiful jet. Where was that developed? The Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, by Americans. Uh, if you think about the technologies that we use every day, um, we have been at the forefront again of leading economic development, making lives better for people around the world. Uh, and it all has to do with our ability to innovate. Uh, agriculture, one of the most innovative sectors in the world. I remember uh, back in the day when I was president of my Future Farmers uh, chapter, learning about uh, Dr. Thomas Malthus, probably the first you know, traditionally trained economist. And he was the first doomsday prognosticator as well because he compared the rate of population growth with the yield per acre of crops. And he decided that we're going to run out of food. This was back in the 1800s. Innovation in agriculture has brought us to a point where America is the, has the ability to feed the world and transfer our technology to other parts of the world. So innovation at its core is a huge piece of America's competitive advantage and our contribution to the world. We cannot leave a critical technology like cryptocurrency behind or allow other nations to develop that because we either get it wrong from a regulatory standpoint or we can't make up our minds and create so much uncertainty that no one will invest here. So we've seen plenty of international destinations announcing their desire to become digital asset hubs, the UK, mm -hmm. the UAE, Hong Kong, just to name a few. Are you concerned that these jurisdictions are going to attract talent and businesses that would have otherwise come to U.S. shores? Well, I can understand their incentive. Um, the development is taking place here. But you know, when I was serving as U.S. ambassador to Japan, Japan had taken a very aggressive posture with respect to fintech and with respect to cryptocurrency because they wanted to try to leap back into the lead in financial services. And they saw fintech and then cryptocurrency as a way to do it. Uh, but they had a number of problems. At, at the time I was serving as ambassador, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, Tokyo had the largest volume of crypto trading in the world. Seoul was next. Uh, you know, a great effort to try to bring that innovation in that direction. But I'll say this, the innovators are here in America. We should create the environment for them to want to stay here and develop more innovation. If you think about the power of the blockchain, it's not just cryptocurrency. There's so many more things that can be done with the technology. You think what you can do with stable coins in terms of efficiencies, uh, the back office efficiencies of, of self-executing contracts. There's an enormous amount of value to be created here. I want to see it happen in America. Do you see any signs that it's starting to leave America? Well, I, I certainly have the concerns because of the tremendous uncertainty that's been created by the current administration. Um, basically, what you have is an environment where we cannot get um, the regulators to come forward with any sort of clear set of, uh, you know, clear, clear set of requirements. Um, you've got companies that are basically being regulated in arrears, if you will. Um, they proceed according to what they think is a, is a legitimate business practice. The SEC, for example, deems that uh, illegal in, in, in retrospect and comes back and charges them for something that was never on the books as being legal or illegal. Um, it is a terrible environment for those companies who are trying to invest and expand, and it's forcing them to look overseas to more favorable regulatory environments. That's not where we need to be right now. I'm going to turn the tables on you for a minute, because when I testified in front of your committee in December during the FTX crap, <laughs> meltdown, uh, explosion, whatever we want to call what happened with FTX, you asked me about the U.S. influence on financial regulation internationally yes. um, if we were to continue down this path. 
Um, I gave you an answer then that said that I think that we need to engage, um, and failure to engage will prevent us from having influence in the future. I'd love to know your answer to that question. Does today's current regulatory environment affect the ability of the United States to influence international financial regulation? Well, I, I, I would just put a nuanced answer to that. I think we need to lead. And you have the, the largest financial market in the world right here in America. And if we set the standards in a sufficiently clear way, the innovation will happen here. We will be the leaders. We already have the dominant currency. We need to perpetuate that rather than step back and let these other countries and other, other city-states, whatever you, whatever you might see, uh, try to step up and, and fill that void. They're going to try. You know, I, I'm, I'm deeply concerned about some of the statements that we've heard from the BRICS countries. In fact, they're expanding the BRICS consortium right now, and they're talking about dethroning the almighty dollar. Uh, I can understand the reason. They're not all our adversaries, but they're looking for an alternative. They're looking to weaken this marketplace. I want to see us strengthen it. And I think if we step into this in a way where we are forward-looking, if we apply reasonable regulatory boundaries but allow for innovation to take place, we'll see America thrive in this environment as well, and we will lead the rest of the world. And to kind of follow up on the idea of dethroning the, the mighty American dollar, uh, there are some that would say that, that crypto itself and allowing crypto to flourish will itself dethrone the American dollar. Um, do, you, do you see it that way, or is crypto development and this innovation a, a, a complement or another way to ensure that the United States continues to, to grow? I, I see it much more as a complement. We have a place in Nashville, Tennessee called Bitcoin Park. The people there that are coming literally from all over the world to work in Nashville to develop the next layer of technology, they're not there to dethrone the dollar. They're there to find new and better ways to achieve a given result. And you know, cryptocurrency has its role, stable coins have their role, but the private sector is the most important place to allow this innovation to occur. What concerns me is the heavy hand of government coming in and either just creating uncertainty, which is what we have now, or trying to go even further and, and, and regulate the marketplace out of existence or take over. Uh, that's when we're going to see all of these innovators leave the country and move someplace else. Let's talk a little bit about specifics and how we move forward to, to gain the kind of regulatory clarity or the, the sensible regulatory framework that, that you're talking yep. about. You've been a longtime critic of the SEC's stance on crypto, um, and you've been active in pushing for regulatory clarity, including by introducing two bills last year to provide clarity for mm -hmm. stablecoin regulation and for digital assets more generally. What do you think the priorities should be for bringing clarity in the crypto landscape? Well, I think people need to know what they're buying, and that's one, one big aspect of the legislation I put forward, is to make it very transparent in terms of what's standing behind the digital currencies. And you know, there's been a concern that perhaps the securities that back them up aren't worth 100 cents on the dollar. Um, after seeing what happened uh, with Silicon Valley Bank and others, I think that's a, that concern has become even greater. Uh, so my legislation would simply require the private firms that are developing these to post in a regular fashion the securities that are backing them up so people can see exactly what is behind the assets that they're holding. And so just generally, what's, what's your outlook here? The House Financial Service Committee, as you know, advanced mm -hmm. a few bills. Um, some of your colleagues in the Senate have been introducing 
other legislation. Some of it's been constructive. Some of it's been aimed at limiting digital asset usage. What do you think we should expect to see in, in the near term coming out of Congress to, I would say, in the digital asset space? Well, in, in, in this space in particular, I think what the, the perspective that I've taken is rather than try to come up with a, a fulsome, complete package in one blow, to try to take step-by-step -step processes, again, to, to provide certainty, to provide guardrails, to provide transparency, like I just described, in terms of the assets that back up the currencies. Um, that sort of incremental approach allows us, I think, to, to move in this in a way that creates certainty, allows us to learn from what we're doing, and uh, allows us to continue to proceed uh, with the input of the industry. I mean, my legislation is two pages, as opposed to some you know, complex behemoth that comes out of the Hill, and I admire my colleagues, but it seems that they you know, value the, the, the legislation based on how many pages are in it. And, and as a business person, I don't see it that way. Simplicity has a tremendous amount of value, particularly when we're talking about an industry that's evolving this rapidly. And the notion that we're going to be able to sit as legislators or as regulators and anticipate where the puck is heading here, I think, is, is foolish. We need to just create broad enough boundaries, clarity, so that the innovation can continue to happen and we can respond accordingly. And so you've been a critic, I said, of the SEC and the SEC's current enforcement stance. I think there's obviously some concern that the SEC's aggressive stance right here is what's out in front and it itself is going to have an effect unless Congress is able to act very quickly. Yeah. Obviously, Congress has its own set of priorities and, and things that it's doing at the same time, but, but how do you pull back the SEC, or can you? Well, you've, you've touched at the very heart of my concern, and that is the SEC's current posture of regulating by enforcement proceedings. Rather than articulating a, a, a set of criteria, what they're doing is they're allowing the, the market to evolve and then they're just picking and choosing where they want to lay an enforcement proceeding and say, well, that we don't like that and therefore it's wrong and level you know, multi-million dollar uh, fines against these corporations that are not in a position to withstand that. And the net effect of all of this is to create increasing amounts of uncertainty. And at some point, the market's not gonna tolerate it and they're going to push the development of these you know, innovative instruments and the, the, the whole ecosystem that goes with it, again, to other markets, and we'll be at a competitive disadvantage. I do not want to see that happen in America. Now, SEC Chair Gary Gensler has been dismissive of crypto's um, value and has been dismissive of the idea that if crypto leaves American shores, the U.S. is going to lose very little um, because we already have digital assets. Um, and although he's not said this expressly, we're already thinking about the concept of a digital dollar coming from the central bank. What would you say to Gary Gensler, and I mean, you have the opportunity to say this directly to him when he testifies in front of your committee later this month, mm -hmm. but what would you say to, to Gary Gensler about that? Well, I, I, I'm having trouble with understanding how his perspective has shifted because I spoke with him before his confirmation. You know he was at MIT at the digital lab there. Uh, reports have come that he was actually trying to become an advisor to Binance before coming into the SEC. So it seems that his perspective has shifted on this, and he seems to be echoing you know, some of my colleagues in the Senate uh, that seem to have a perspective that um, the, only, the only use for this is for some sort of malicious behavior. And I don't understand what's created that mind, you know, that mind shift in, in uh, Chairman Gensler's perspective. But I'll tell you this, 
the posture that he's adopting now is damaging the industry. It's damaging our potential to lead. And I think it's up to the Senate and to the, to the House of Representatives to bring this into check. What we need to do is have more uh, hearings on this. Uh, you know, the, the Senate is controlled by Democrats. Uh, the Banking Committee has had far too few uh, hearings on this. We just had an Appropriations Committee hearing uh, where uh, Chair Gensler came before us, and we need to be doing more of this oversight and having more of this discussion so I can uh, get better insight into what's in his mind and also so I can share with him my very much business person entrepreneurial perspective and my perspective that America is best when we lead. We have time for a few questions for the Senator. He's graciously agreed to take questions from our audience. Um, if you have a question in the in-person audience, please feel free to raise your hand and we will bring a microphone around to you. If you're watching online, um, please feel free to submit a question on Cato's website or on social media using the hashtag CatoEcon. Um, I have one question online that I'll go to first. Um, and a question for you. Um, you can do some prognostication or not if you prefer not to. But a uh, question online asks, which of the current crypto bills before Congress is most likely to pass and why? Boy, that is very difficult to, um, to say. Uh, the way legislation comes together tends to be in response to a particular crisis or event. And, you know, I put together legislation that I think, again, lays, you know, broad guardrails, uh, create certainty, that type of thing. But um, you will find very often that Congress reacts as, to, as opposed to, 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 to thinking in a forward manner. Um, you know, I, I'll bring a case in point. It's not directly related to crypto, but it's called the Recoup Act that came through the Banking Committee. That was in response to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. And I did not support that because I read the detail of that legislation uh, if you look at it carefully, and again, it was thrown to ver together very rapidly. I think we got the text early in the morning that we had to vote on it later in the day. And again, we've just voted out of the committee. It's not been voted for on the floor of the Senate. But if you look carefully at the text, which we did, um, it would give the federal government the authority to step in and take over management of a bank if they deemed that that bank was undertaking risks that were unsatisfactory. That risk and the satisfac satisfactory nature of the risk would be in the eyes of the supervisor. I think that is very, very dangerous. You can imagine what types of risk could be you know, deemed unsatisfactory uh, by the regulators. I think that's happened in, in certain effect uh, already with the Signature Bank, with Silvergate, and frankly with Silicon Valley Bank. We saw what happened in the failed auction. I could not have been more, more disappointed in the fact that the FDIC failed the auction over the weekend for Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and I still have not gotten any satisfactory answer because they had uh, two bids. They didn't accept them, and they decided to expose the U.S. market uh, to you know, an incredible amount of uncertainty again because nobody knows what deposits are insured at this point, thanks to, the, thanks to what happened there. But when the SVB assets were finally sold, the one thing they did not sell was the crypto platform that they'd built. Look at what happened at, at Signature Bank, the same thing. The crypto platform has been kept, kept off the marketplace. And Signature, uh, Signature and you know, Silvergate were both major crypto banks that facilitated the industry. A lot of people come to me and say, you know, what we're seeing is another case of choke point. This is choke point 2.0. Um, and that was the Obama Justice Department's uh, use of you know, regulations to come in and choke off industries that were not favored by the administration at that point in time. 
I think a lot of people in the crypto industry are very concerned that we're now using bank supervisory uh, you know, powers to come in and choke off the crypto market. That is not good for America. That's not the design. They're, I think they're acting way beyond their remit to do this, and Congress should step in and take, take action here. Yeah. We have time for one more question. There's anyone in the audience here? I see a hand. Here we go. Uh, thank you, Senator Haggerty. So uh, in last September's uh, Senate hearing, uh, you correctly point, uh, very importantly point out that Binance is like a CCP operation and uh, FTX collapse actually has a lot to do with what Binance did at the time. And at the same time, the CCP is promoting like Hong Kong as a crypto center uh, in combined with like a, their global CBDC like strategy. And to what extent is Congress aware of like uh, CCP's strategy actually to cause chaos in the regulatory environment in the U.S. and as a part of their global strategy of expanding like a CBDC and to what extent the U.S. Uh, should and is developing a comprehensive strategy like in response to that because crypto represents freedom and like the U.S. should have a strategy like in response to the CCP's global uh, geopolitical strategy in that arena. Uh, you, you raise uh, a point of great concern that I hear very often, and this, this is the question on central bank digital currency, and I think the worst example of where that could lead is communist China. And what they're able to do is use digital currency as yet another means to enact you know, what they like on the social credit scoring, their digital social, social scoring that they undertake. Um, if you think about it, uh, the, the central bank in China wants to be in a position where they can control what you can buy or not buy. They can control where you travel because if your currency won't work beyond the borders of your home state, for example, or, or your home city, it's an enormous amount of control that the Chinese Communist Party is attempting to and I think is trying to put themselves in a position to exert. That's the last thing we want to see here. And as you, as you say, uh, and I think about my, my meetings with, with the entrepreneurs at Bitcoin Park in Tennessee, they're all about liberty and freedom here in America. And we need to create an environment where they can continue to perpetuate and innovate and not be concerned that some sort of central government, you know, heavy hand is going to come in and control this. I, I tell you, I was quite concerned on the Monday after Silicon Valley Bank failed that we had uh, Dr. Omarova. You may remember she was the failed candidate for the comptroller of the currency. She was on Bloomberg saying that we should go to a central bank digital currency. Um, you know, I think looking for a crisis to then try to advocate for something that, uh, that uh, would be very concerning to me. As, as it uh, as, as it pertains to Congress, I think there's varying level of knowledge about uh, the, the technology itself, about the financial markets, and about China's role and what they're trying to accomplish in the digital currency arena. Uh, it's, un it's incumbent upon people like myself who are you know, very engaged in this to continue to talk to my colleagues, to continue to put forward legislation that will help make this clear. And my goal, again, is to put forward legislation that is simple, straightforward, and, and open. And I hope that my colleagues can support me in that. Great. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And we look forward to seeing that legislation and continuing your work in this space. Thank you. It's Thank great you. to be with you today. Thank you.